0: Good morning, Diaryia! It's time to wake up. <laughs> it's 5, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show, your early morning shot of sports on 95.7 The Game.
1: Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Steve Langford in on the pregame show. Nine five seven, the game leading up until six o'clock. As the morning roast will take you until ten. Happy Friday, everyone. We got a fun show today at five forty-five. I'm going to go back to front here. I'm going to I'm going to tease you from back to front. <laughs> that's such a I'm, oh my goodness, that's not even right, but. At 5.45, Legford's Log Balls. I'm going to go through my five favorite home runs from the first half, capping off the All-Star break. Then, at 5.35, want to get your most disappointing movie sequels. Your most disappointing movie sequels. It's a topic that I tend to get very passionate about, and the fact that the new Space Jam uh, is being released today I'm going to try and go into it with an open mind, but I decided that today, since it's a Friday, I wanted to go through my most disappointing movie sequels of all time and would love for you uh, to weigh in. Got some Warriors that I do want to talk about because we haven't heard from Steve Kerr in a while. And then uh, there was an interesting article that was written yesterday from the SF Chronicle uh, from Connor Letourneau, who had a league source saying the Warriors' plan A is to package the picks number 7 and 14 for a starting caliber player in his prime. So I did find that all very interesting. But I do want to start out... Just by talking about some uh, football stories that I saw yesterday, stories out of the NFL, and ones that are just way too late to report. The first one: Bucks quarterback Tom Brady led the Bucks to the Super Bowl fi- to Super Bowl Fifty Five win, despite a partial MCL MCL tear that is from Rick Stroud and then Ian Rapoport and every insider followed it up saying buck's quarterback Tom Brady's injury was actually more serious than that it was a fully torn MCL sources say that required surgery following the Super Bowl win and when i heard that when i saw that i just i did not know what to make of it i didn't know what to make of it Why don't you warn these things of us sooner? (laughs) Like, like what was the point of leaving all of this information out until the season is, what, three weeks away? Until we actually start to get things rolling here? I mean, we're getting into the month of August. Training camp is going to start. You're going to start seeing these guys in pads. You're going to get to preseason. Then you're going to get to the regular season. Why did this story have to come out now? And... I'm looking at that Super Bowl and I'm I'm just thinking you know well for one he didn't really need to use his legs too much. He didn't need to move cuz the Bucks offensive line was just toying with the Chiefs defensive line. They weren't letting them get anywhere. There was no pressure allowed at all. But I'm also incredibly impressed. I don't know how people can even knock Tom Brady for this. I was looking in the comments. I was looking in the replies yesterday. And some of the replies that I saw were, this actually has the opposite effect. This means that he just didn't need to use his legs for the entirety of the season. And I I get it. There are a lot of Tom Brady haters out there. There are, right? But... I do believe that this is true because he had had surgery after uh, the Super Bowl and I do believe that but man like 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 wh- why are people trying to downplay it right now why it happened I don't get why the news came out so late And that's really my main question, is why did this happen? But also, how are people managing to find a way to knock it? This dude is in his early 40s. He just won a Super Bowl with a brand new team. Might have put that whole, does Belichick need Brady or Brady need Belichick? He might have put a different side to that argument. He might have uh, changed that argument up for some people. I I just don't know how people are finding a way to knock it. I was looking at the replies yesterday, and someone said that had an opposite effect. Actually, it's not as impressive. Now that you got a Super Bowl win. The dude did it on a torn MCL. If true. Big if true. I mean, that that remains to be seen also, if it is actually true. But Tom Brady, when I saw that, winning a Super Bowl on a fully torn MCL for the season. That's insane. That's insane. Um... I had that. Then I saw also yesterday something that came out way too late, and this is years too late, but Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey just straight up admitting that you've been pronouncing his last name wrong the whole time? That is something I don't believe. That is something I don't believe. Did him and his brother Jason, who played played as the center for the Philadelphia Eagles, the Super Bowl-winning Philadelphia Eagles, why hadn't he said anything? Travis Kelsey said you know he's been uh, he was on with Barstool Sports one of the podcasts there and he said yeah I've been fooling people this entire time my name is actually Kels it's not Kelsey I've just been telling everyone it's Kelsey everyone thought it was Kelsey so we were just rolling with it the players are all ticked off at him but here's the thing this is what this is what's funny about this entire thing do you remember when hard knocks came out with the Cleveland Browns And we've been pronouncing Tyrod Taylor wrong this entire time. He grew up, his name was Tyrod Taylor. That's how it was officially pronounced. And then after that hard knock season, once he was benched for uh, Baker Mayfield, and Baker Mayfield ended up being the starting quarterback, we just completely forgot that this dude straight up told us, yeah, my name's actually pronounced Tyrod, it's not Tyrod. And no one followed that up. No one did. We still call him Tyrod Taylor after all this time. We seem to have forgotten that he said, hey, yeah, it's Tyrod Taylor. (laughs) You've been pronouncing it wrong. And then no one else pronounces it that way anymore. I haven't heard anyone call him Tyrod Taylor ever since. You know, even with his time over in L.A., anytime that when that news came out, when Justin Herbert got his first start, because the team doctor accidentally uh, punctured his lung when he was giving him a shot, uh, Terod Taylor, that is. We just—I didn't hear anybody pronounce his first name correctly. So we're going to go into the season probably pronouncing Kelsey's name as Kels because everyone's going to go by that. But when Terod Taylor says, "Yeah, that's this is actually how you pronounce my name," nah, we're still calling you Tyrod. Oh, I will say that. Tyrod Taylor is, you know, Tyrod Taylor is a, is Tyrod Taylor from the 510. The same people that are hating on Brady for playing on a tournament MCL are the same people do you think Klay Thompson is a god for tearing his Achilles and walking out and hitting two free throws? Those are what those are two different things. I don't get where you're coming from with that. Um one other piece of news that came out yesterday was that the judge Richard Sherman ended up meeting with the judge in Kings County And the judge had released him from jail without bail on Thursday following his arrest on suspicion of trying to break into his in-law's home northeast of Seattle. Now a hearing is set or is expected to happen as soon as today uh they haven't filed charges yet a charging decision will be made so we await to see what happens there but he was uh released without bail and they took him in and they weren't even letting him go uh without bail yesterday and i was i really was thinking about this a lot because you know we had that 911 dispatcher call that was released and You know, you can consider that uh, the invasion of privacy, which I, I totally do agree with. But also, I do think that that call clarified some things for some people. I know it's an invasion of privacy. You don't want to let that out to the public because it's not your business. And I totally understand the point where you're coming from with that. But I do think. That there could have been a lot of unfair assumptions that were made about Richard Sherman because by the time that call came out, we're just thinking, oh, something, something is just truly wrong uh, with him mentally. Something is going on there, and that's where that's how we, and that's how we took it after we heard the nine one one call because before that, I do think I do think there were some unfair assumptions that were made, but. When I was thinking about this and after hearing the news that he was released from jail without bail on Thursday, we saw the news yesterday, we saw it all unfold and we know Richard Sherman. We understand that he uh, this wasn't really his character, right? Because he was the face of the Legion of Boom. He was one of the faces of that 49ers defense in 2019 when they made it all the way to the Super Bowl. Richard Sherman was at the forefront of that. He was a team leader there on the defense. But after thinking about this, I just hope that we can um, give the same sort of... uh, courtesy, I suppose, to guys who we don't know who are going through the same thing, who are struggling through the same thing. Because, you know, with Richard Sherman, we know who he is. And we know this that was out of character for him. But when we see this happen with, you know, another person whom we don't know, and we see all this news, we, we, we see this happening, we just make these uh, assumptions about who they are as people Instead of just looking at the problem and thinking, okay, yeah, this guy needs help. This this isn't part of his character. I, I do think we need to, um, you know, maybe learn a lesson from this at, at this point. And you know, what, me too. I'm a, I'm a part of that too because seeing the outpouring of support for for Richard Sherman, and rightfully so, he totally deserved every uh, every bit of that. But I'm also saying that you know, with just regular people whom we don't know I think they deserve that same uh, bit of courtesy as well just as human beings before we make any sort of assumptions as to who they are as people that's really where I came away uh, from this and I'm hopefully Richard Sherman's getting the help that he needs I'm glad uh, that he got released uh, from jail without bail on Thursday following his arrest and we'll we have yet to await any more news uh, as to what happens um, on Friday uh, that is today obviously and when that's when the hearing is next expected. He doesn't need to show up. The attorney just needs to show up uh, in part of him and that's according uh, for, uh, I mean, excuse me in uh, in place of him and that's uh, that's according to ESPN. So um, that's really that's where I close out on the Richard, Richard Sherman conversation there. I was thinking about this uh, a lot yesterday because seeing that video as well that TMZ ended up releasing which I also believe is an invasion of, of privacy as well. Um, but seeing the video yesterday, it was you know it was heartbreaking it really was seeing all that unfold uh in this past week all nine five seven nine is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in and i want to know from you if you're a warrior fan where are you at with the 7th and the 14th pick where are you at do you think they're going to keep it or do you think that they're going to end up trading this 7th and 14th pick because there was a report yesterday out of the San Francisco Chronicle that does report that their plan A is to trade the 7th and 14th pick for a superstar in their prime. But Steve Kerr joined DRK yesterday. He had something to say about the 7th and 14th pick. And Klay Thompson was back on his IG Live yet again. And he had something to say about the 7th and 14th pick as well. So we will contrast those two reports but also, coming from the team, too. We'll get to all of that. Steven Leifert did all the pregame show 95.7 of the game. We really need
2: new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s
0: on us and four lines for $25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
1: Stephen Langford in on the pregame show. 95.7 The Game, as the big voice guy said. At 5.45, going to go through my five favorite home runs of the first half with the final edition of the All-Star break for Langford's long balls as Baseball starts up again tonight, July. (laughs) At 5.35, I'm going to go through some disappointing movie sequels because the new Space Jam is out today, and I'm not going to lie to you, I've been dreading it. (laughs) Space Jam is like my favorite childhood movie of all time. And it's one of those ones where you know you you take a few years, you don't watch it, then you rewatch it again, then you think, oh wow, I kind of understand why people watching this for their first time, if they're adults, don't really understand the allure of it. So uh, I, I'm sure this new space jam is going to create a lot of new fans uh, among the kids, but I'm gonna personally hate watch it. That's just me. That's just me. I'm gonna admit that. I'm gonna admit that. I'm gonna hate watch it. <laughs> oh, I'm a jerk. All right. So I saw this yesterday from Connor Letourneau of the San Francisco Chronicle. And according to Connor Letourneau, First off, the headline read According to league sources, Golden State's front office is split on Davion Mitchell. Now, Davion Mitchell is the guard, the two way guard, in which they could possibly draft who they could possibly draft with that seventh pick. He's the guy uh, that a lot of people are very keen on. No one knows what's going to happen with the 14th pick. I'm convinced of that. You can make all your 14th pick predictions that you want, but you don't know how the draft is going to go at the first 13 picks. You just don't. Trades could possibly happen. Who knows? But as we approach the draft coming up, something else that was interesting within this article was, according to a league source, this is a quote, the Warriors' plan A is to package the number 7 and 14 selections for a starting caliber player in... In his prime. In his prime. And... You know, Damian Lillard was at the forefront of the conversation last week, and rightfully so, because you write one article on Damian Lillard, you get one little opinion uh, from Anthony Slater, where he says, ah, you know the the they have had pre- they have had discussions about it." And then later on the article, Anthony Slater just says he doesn't think they're going to do it, and no one pays attention to that part. They only pay attention to the fact that the Warriors have had internal discussions about it. It's like, of course they've had internal discussions about it, but the one trade that i i'd be okay with because you're really not giving up that much i personally don't think that the 7th and 14th pick is going to give you what you want right away i do think fans are going to be very impatient but there was one trade proposal that was thrown out, and that was at the 1st of July, so just a couple of weeks ago. But Monty Poole, Warriors insider, proposed a trade for Indiana Pacers, Miles Turner.
0: I'm not saying, first of all, that the Warriors should trade James Wiseman. I happen to think that he can be a good player in the NBA and he's only 20 so we have no idea how good he can be yet. But I do think if they were to make a move regarding Wiseman or if they were able to sign and trade Kelly Oubre, I think Miles Turner is the one big that I think is maybe obtainable and can certainly bring something to them that they need. Rim protection, shot blocker, and best of all, I think, is the fact he can actually shoot the ball. (laughs) He can actually shoot the ball.
1: Now, I heard that and he didn't necessarily say, "Yeah, you could just trade this uh, pick seven and fourteen as well as James Wiseman." The one that I would be interested in, if they could make that happen, was adding Kelly Oubre to the mix instead of James Wiseman and involving Kelly Oubre in a sign and trade because of the way uh, that the CBA works out for the, for the NBA. You can pay Kelly Oubre more than any of these other teams that he could possibly go to. In his free agency, and then you could trade him. That's the benefit there. You're getting some. You're you're getting something back. In this case, it'd be Miles Turner, but also you're paying Kelly Oubre more. So you know what? Which player doesn't want to get their money right? But the other thing is, when really dissecting through it and and sifting through the Pacers and who they could start. It doesn't look like Kelly Oubre would fit anywhere within that starting starting five. And if we know anything about Kelly Oubre right now, it's that he wants to start. I don't buy the whole, oh yeah, he'd be okay with coming off the bench. First off, he wants to get his money, but I do think that he wants to start for a team that could possibly get into contention within their conference. And the Pacers could be within the Eastern Conference. You never know what's going to happen uh, next season. The Western Conference seems a little more solidified solidify, right? It seems like we know next season who the top teams are going to be, as opposed to the Eastern Conference, where it's kind of up in the air. What, the, the Bucks and the Sixers, are they going to be atop the Eastern Conference again? Who knows? With the Sixers trading Ben Simmons, uh, that's going to come. He could go to the Western Conference. I think the Eastern Conference is up in the air. And ultimately, it is up to Kelly Oubre. He can decide to sign with the Warriors if they tell him that they're going to trade him, and they tell him that he trained him to the Pacers or he just don't he could just not sign the deal and just test the test the free agent market elsewhere. So, I heard that trade, I liked it, but I just don't think it's going to happen. And Steve Kerr was on with DRK yesterday. And here's what he had to say regarding the uh 7th and 14th pick and also these new faces for the staff.
0: You know, adding some some new blood, new new faces, new uh, voices, I think that's important. And uh, so I'm really excited about some of the things we've done on the, on the staff. And then I, I think um, you know, getting seven and 14 is really a pretty nice spot to be in. The draft is generally regarded as pretty deep. And I, I know our front office is you know, really doing their homework. And and so it's a, a chance for us to get better. So it's been an exciting summer.
1: And one move that I don't think we're giving enough credit to when it comes to adding the, uh, adding the new faces to the staff, first off, They added Kenny Atkinson, formerly uh, the head coach of the Nets. And if you heard any of those reports, Kyrie and KD are running that place. I really like that hire of Kenny Atkinson. I do not think he was a bad head coach. I just thought he got a, a bad deal with KD and Kyrie being there. Because as soon as KD got there... There were reports that he was sitting on Manhattan Beach with Steve Nash trying to convince him to become the head coach, and they were just done with Kenny Atkinson, even though Kenny Atkinson had led that Nets team, who were the darlings of those playoffs a couple of years ago as the eighth seed, if you remember that, so... I liked that hire, but one we're not paying attention to so much, and one we're not talking about nearly enough whenever we talk about these arguments about whether they trade the 7th and the 14th picks and James Wiseman for uh, another star in his prime. I do think that one hire we're not talking enough about, one that slipped under the radar because there was so much going on, but this happened 30 days ago on June 17th, when the Warriors hired Deion Miliosevich. Dion Miliosevich. He was originally the coach for Nikola Jokic. And you're not bringing that guy in for any other reason besides developing a guy like James Wiseman. And that hire to me solidified the fact that they're most likely hanging on to him. And if they can create a trade, I don't think that James Wiseman is going to be involved within that package if they do. I think if they're going to, it could be Kelly Oubre, it could be Andrew Wiggins, although I don't think they're going to do that with Andrew Wiggins either. I could see them possibly trading that 7th and 14th pick up in the draft. I, I, I'd be up for that, just to get a player uh, that, that's a more of an upgrade, and especially if the front office is split on uh, If the front office is split on Davion Mitchell, because when that report came out, everyone jumped to the assumption that they wanted to get that superstar, that superstar there. And I just, I don't know if that would happen. I don't know if that would happen. And then Steve Kerr continued on DRK and this is what he had to say regarding the approach to James Wiseman this year and how they'll uh, how they'll uh, put him into the starting rotation.
0: I think we're going into this year with a different mindset. You know, last year was more about, hey, let's just see what we've got. We'll, you know, we'll start James from opening night and see what he's got and kind of throw him into the deep end a little bit. I think this year will be much more sort of streamlined. Put him in positions where he can uh, really help us on game nights and where we can really help develop him on practice days and as that process goes forward you know he'll have a chance to play more and more if he's if he's ready to help us win games and if not that's fine we'll, we'll keep developing him because he's 20 years old. You know I know everybody's impatient wants him to be great now it just doesn't work that way. If we continue to develop him and we're having a great season that's the whole plan that's the whole idea whether he's playing you know 15 minutes or 30 minutes or, or anything in between so we want to win and and um, we're committed to that and over the long haul we're going to develop James and we feel like he's going to be our our starting center at some point for for a long long time ahead
1: isn't it amazing isn't it amazing how sports works <laughs> you get the report the source that says their plan a is to package the number fourteen selection for a starting caliber player in his prime and you'd assume that James Wiseman would be involved there but then you hear Steve Kerr say, "Well, no, our entire plan is to start him off slow, get him involved, and then eventually work him in as the starting center, as opposed to last year where we just put him in against the Nets and hopefully he can uh, develop in due time on the court. As we just give him the experience, even though I'm going to bench him after 18 minutes because he's not giving, he his confidence isn't there." <laughs> Yeah, this is it's just so back and forth as we are heading into uh, the NBA draft soon but you know i you know who i haven't heard him talk much of and uh, who i haven't heard these guys talk much about is andrew wiggins you know i haven't heard them speak much on his contract i haven't heard them speak much on how he is part of their plan in the next 3 years a lot of the talk has been steph clay and Wiseman, you know Draymond Green is still part of the talk too. Draymond Green is Draymond Green is Draymond Green, but I haven't heard much regarding Andrew Wiggins. So I would say that if I'm looking at that report and I'm hearing you package the picks seventh and fourteenth for a starting caliber starting caliber player in their prime, I don't know. I just don't know. That's me. That's me. And from the nine two five, I actually agree with you. Dame is going to the Sixers. Yeah, I could see that happening. We're waiting for that big trade to drop. The most important thing I think I found from that... Uh, uh, the most important thing or the just a, the bottom line with that Dame report is that he's not going to be with Portland anymore. That's what I took away from it. I don't think he's going to be with Golden State, but wherever he's going, it's not going to be in Portland. And that, to me, was just wild. There's one more from Steve Kerr that i got to play for you because one thing that is up in the air is Clay Thompson and his timeline to return. When he is on the boat... When he's on the boat and he's saying, look, we're in a good spot with 7-14, and 14. no one understands that draft picks, those are business moves, and business right now is booming. That's what he said on his boat on another Instagram Live whenever he was asked about the draft but one thing that we don't know is the timeline to return and Kerr actually gave me some optimism here with Damian Rado and Kolsky yesterday.
0: Achilles injuries in general you'd say well it's at least a year before somebody's going to be back out on the floor and I don't know the exact date but I want to say late November was when he got the injury last year so I think you go on that timeline and you just adjust accordingly you know according to how he's doing good news is he's been diligent with his work he and Rick celebrate have worked closely all summer. He's uh, right on schedule. He's been on the floor running now for the last few weeks. I think the light is finally at the end of the tunnel. But when we get close to the season and he gets closer and closer, then we're obviously going to be very, very careful, and, and we'll lean on the advice of our training staff to let us know when he's ready to play.
1: But November. November is a lot more hopeful than possibly past Christmas Day. So the earlier the better as far as I'm concerned uh, when it comes to Klay Thompson. I just can't wait to see him back on the court. Well, it's all just too much. It's all just too much. All right, Coming up at 5.45, going to go through my five favorite home runs of the first half of the Major League Baseball season as it's back underway this weekend. But coming up next, and I want you to get involved here at 888 I need your help. Which were the most disappointing movie sequels that you were excited to see, and then when you saw it, you were just bummed afterwards, and you were mad that you even spent an hour and a half to two hours of your time watching that? 888 The most disappointing movie sequels. I got a list of a few of them. I'll have a reasoning as to why I'm doing that. We're going to have a fun final half hour, then maybe some Giants predictions on the other side. Stephen Lankford in with you. 95.7 The Game.
0: Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford.
1: All right, get him in. Triple 957 9570 That's the text line and the phone number for the next seven minutes up until 545. Want to go through... Your most disappointing movie sequels—ones where you were looking forward to it, you actually had an expectation that it could be okay, you didn't mind them making a movie sequel—and then when you either came out of the theater or you were done watching it at home, you thought, "Wow, that was a horrible waste of time. Why did I want to watch? Why did I watch that?" I want to know from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero because we got the new Space Jam movie that's out today. And if you have ever heard me on this show, I have ranted and raved about how I'm not okay with this ever since it was reported that they were actually working on the movie. Hell, I go back all the way to like 2012, 2013 when someone just decided to photoshop a picture of LeBron on the Space Jam cover and then add a 2 on to it. I posted that on my Instagram and I wrote a paragraph about how this isn't okay. (laughs) That's how much I've been opposed to a new Space Jam movie. And if you have any kids that are up watching or that are up listening to this, I assume uh, there really aren't that many, but, or if, if any at all, but if there are, I'm sorry if you're looking forward to watching this movie later on because it is released today. And I've seen the commercials, it looks way over the top, and I know. That if you've seen Space Jam when you're first an adult for the first time, and you're, you've are you watched it as an adult for the first time, and you're just thinking, alright, what's the hype around this? I get that. I get that. It is one of those movies that you have to grow up with. It is one of those movies that you have to watch as a kid, and then you grow some uh, affinity to it. I, I do get that. But personally... I'm not really looking forward to it. I have a. Fee- I'm going into it with an open mind because Clay Thompson is in it after all, uh, as an animated character, and I'm. I'm curious to see how they actually work that in because uh, the only commercials that you've really seen are a lot of it within the final, uh, within the final sequence of the movie. So, I want to know from you at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero what is the most disappointing sequel to you? As I play a movie steam song from the first movie where a sequel probably shouldn't have been made and if everyone knows this song pennant fever from major league major league 2 not a good movie i don't even remember it i watched it once and i remember just thinking okay what was the point of me even watching that what was the point and as you continue to roll in your text at triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero, 9570 because we got one from the 408, we got one from the 707, we got one from the 925. Do I hear one from the 510? Do I hear one from the 574, which tends to text in here? Do I hear one from the new area code, the 628 in San Francisco? Text them in at 888 9570 But here is my list. I got a list of five here. Number one, and this is the most recent one, but Wonder Woman 1984. Wonder Woman 1984. I didn't watch the first Wonder Woman movie until later. I didn't watch it till later. I watched it at home, and when I saw that Wonder Woman 1984 was going to come out on Christmas Day, I decided, you know what? I should probably watch that first Wonder Woman movie. I did, and I really enjoyed it. Thought the action was great. Thought the acting was great. And I went into Wonder Woman 1984 thinking, oh, they're going to have the same sort of creativity. Ooh, it's based in the 1980s. The commercials, they looked pretty sweet. And then I watched it. It was a total dud, total money grab. They had a story. It didn't seem like they had any idea as to where it was going. And I think you're sensing a theme here with a lot of these movie sequels. (laughs) Money grab and a storyline where it seems like they had a good idea uh, to start off, but didn't know how to end it. (laughs) From the 408 Little Fockers was horrible Regretted it the whole time Of course that is the sequel To Meet the Parents And then you had Meet the Fockers Which technically was the second movie And then you had Little Fockers Which was just as bad Which was pretty bad Meet the Fockers wasn't too bad But um, I'm going to continue to try and get away with that saying As much as as I can on the radio Because that is the name of the movie But I agree with you I agree with you there and the seven zero seven, you're echoing exactly what I'm saying. Also from the nine two five, you're also exa- echoing what I'm saying here. But Anchorman two, I don't think I'd been any more disappointed than with what Anchorman with, with what happened with Anchorman two. Anchorman two had officially it had officially ended any of my hope for any of these comedic sequels. You had 22 Jump Street, which was pretty good. And and I'm not here to just knock all sequels, right? Terminator 2 is one of the greatest movies of all time. The Dark Knight is one of the greatest movies of all time. There have been a lot that have been very good, better than the original. But there are also some that have stunk. And Anchorman 2 is one of them. Anchorman is a total classic. Back in the early 2000s when comedy movies were actually creative and actually good. And Will Ferrell was in his prime. Then they come back and it's just one of those movies that makes you sad. You know? You're watching it and you're just like, wow, a lot of my favorite actors here, they just... They're just a lot older and they're just trying to crack jokes. Then it ends up Will Ferrell pretending he's blind and becoming friends with a shark, getting a pet shark for his son. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I, I didn't know where they were going with it. And quite frankly... I'll watch the bloopers for Anchorman 2 before I watch the actual movie. If you haven't checked them out, I recommend you do because the bloopers are a lot funnier when these guys are just trying to improvise lines and they're just there to laugh. But Anchorman 2 as a whole as a movie was awful. And then I told you that Anchorman 2 wasn't going to fool me. I wasn't going to go see any more comedic sequels. But then Dumb and Dumber 2 came out. And Dumb and Dumber is my favorite movie of all time and that goes to show what kind of person i am i got plenty of favorite i mean you know if you want to put it in the comedy section and whatever the comedy genre i got other favorite movies too goodfellas is another one but that's that's neither here nor there but dumb and dumber is my favorite comedic movie of all time and when they came out with a second one i had to go watch it i had to go watch it and i was made sad watching that like I was with Anchorman 2, except this time. Have you ever seen a movie where they're spoofing like a TV show or a film? For example, there was a uh, there was a moment in The Office where one of them is watching a movie and that movie was a fake one starring Jack Black and uh, and Cloris Leachman. I believe that's her name. Uh, rest in peace. But it was a fake movie, and it felt like for me, I was in a TV show watching a fake movie with Dumb and Dumber 2. I thought it was a fake one. I thought it wasn't real. I'm looking at these characters, I'm watching Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey try to recreate what they had back in the early 90s. I think that movie came out in 1994. And that's the funny part for the 209 Dumb and Dumber er. <laughs> <laughs> no one even remembers Dumb and Dumber Err. That's how bad that one was. I guess you could technically count that as a sequel, but I'm not going to because it was it was really a prequel if you really wanted to count it. But Dumb and Dumber Err was awful, but Dumb and Dumber 2, in my opinion, was just as bad. I couldn't watch that. All right, this is the last one on my list, and this is one where I just walked out of the theater. I, I didn't even bother to watch it. But Independence Day is one of my, also one of my favorite movies ever. You heard me go off on uh, about it on July Fourth. It's not July Fourth until I hear uh, uh, Harvey Firestein saying, "David, it's not July Fourth until I hear that." But Independence Day is one of my favorites, so I figured, okay, it's been 10 years, they got a new one, Jeff Goldblum is in it, doesn't look like Will Smith's in it, Bill Pullman is in it, but Independence Day Resurgence back in 2016 was one of the worst movies that I had ever seen. One of the worst movies ever. All right, we are getting a ton of texts here. All right, from the 408, the Fast and Furious series, I didn't watch any of them past uh, the fourth one. I didn't watch any of them past Fast and Furious. Apparently, I got to watch Fast 5 and Fast 6, F7. I don't even know the names of any of them anymore. I know they just came out with the ninth one, and everyone's making fun of Vin Diesel for being uh, the family uh, type of guy, which is which is amazing any meme that's coming out but I haven't watched any of them past Fast and Furious if I'm going to be honest but I don't knock you if you like them because look they're the action movies of our generation besides Marvel what can we uh, what can we say uh, from the 650 coming to America how can on- anyone honestly defend it it was what PG-13 but they wanted to make it rated R it seemed like yeah coming to America I haven't even bothered watching that after hearing how, uh, how bad it was from the 510 Grown Ups 2 <laughs> was terrible from the 209, Sandlot 2, Total Garbage. From the 510, any of the Matrix sequels because they were awful. Jay and Silent Bob reboot and the new Bill and Ted. I haven't even watched those reboots. I haven't watched the Jay and Silent Bob. I haven't watched the new Bill and Ted. I haven't watched either of them. I'm too scared to do it. From the 925, Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> See, I watched that in 2000, so in my mind it was like actually a good movie when I was 7 years old, but I haven't seen it in a while. From the 510, not a sequel, but I just want to say, I hated that movie Daredevil. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the the superhero movies are a little better nowadays. I actually saw Black Widow last night. Black Widow is fantastic. I highly recommend you check it out uh, if you're into those movies at all. From the 925, Indiana Jones 4, I refuse to say the title. Was that the one? Is that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Anytime someone knocks you and saying, "Well, this guy directed this movie. You should you should go watch it," we'll just say, "Yeah, but Steven Spielberg directed Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull." Just because a good director's directing this movie doesn't mean I'm going to have to go watch it, and that's where I'm feeling with uh, that's what I'm feeling with uh, with Space Jam Two right now because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan Coogler produced it. Who, of course. Uh, directed Fruitvale Station and and Black Panther, I believe he produced it. If if I'm not mistaken, that was out a while ago. Uh, uh, let me just double check that. Actually, I let mean, let me, you know what? I'm going to type that up. Ah, never mind. Wait, it, yes, he is. He's, he is. Okay, cool. At least that came out two years ago. Maybe something. Maybe something else changed because I'm not looking at an article uh, past 2019 here. But look. I don't know. I'm going to try and go into it with an open mind. I love having the sequel conversation. I love movie sequels. They're, they're, they're just, they're, you know, I, I just think that they, 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 they cause so much controversy. But I do also think, hey, come up with something creative. Come up with something new come up with something where you can eventually make a sequel down the line instead of just looking back and thinking yeah we should make a sequel another one I saw where the Wayans brothers they are uh, looking forward to possibly making a White Chicks 2 I'm like you don't need to to make a sequel to that (laughs) White Chicks is a very acquired taste, it is the best movie sequel of all time though of all time, I put this above Terminator 2 I put this above The Dark Knight Rush Hour 2 was sick man Rush Hour two was sick. Chris Tucker, Jackie Chan, the bloopers at the end, <laughs> where they where they push the guy off the building and then Chris Tucker improvises that line saying, Damn, he ain't gonna be a rush hour three. <laughs> Oh, man. But Rush Hour 2, greatest sequel of all time. You're not going to convince me otherwise. Also from the 415, Hangover 2. I am with you. And then also the second of Transformers. I get that they had to, because Transformers, you know, they have this whole series going on, and they got to make a sequel to it. They got to continue the storyline with Megatron, with Shia LaBeouf, with uh, Megan Fox, whatever. Was Megan Fox in that second one? Actually, I I don't even think so. I can't remember. But, look... Movie sequels, for the most part, they can be good, but a lot of them can be uh, disappointing. And you know what? I I really am going to go into Space Jam, uh, the next one, A New Legacy, with an open mind. All right, before we get to the morning roast here with Ryan Covey and Joe the Butcher Boy Shasky. Wanna go through my five favorite home runs of the first half. If you've tuned in at this time at 545 on Fridays, I do a segment called Langford's Long Balls where I go through my five favorite home runs from the week. Seeing as there was no baseball this week, I've been going through my long ballers of the week, my long calls of the week, but now let's get into it. My five favorite home runs from the first half of the twenty twenty-one MLB season. Yeah. You're right, 415. Next Friday is great. <laughs> Next Friday is great. With Mike Epps going, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they 20s. They 20s. And then Ice Cube's just like, no, they're not. Whenever they're looking at his car's ribs. Yeah, they 10s. They 10s, though. They 10s, though. Yeah. Next Friday. It's a great one. <laughs> the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Trash. Yeah, after the, after the first one, I was kind of done with it. Yeah, you know, Actually, the second one wasn't too bad. Then they got to At World's End. It became a little too much. Then they had a fourth one. Apparently, they had a fifth one. I haven't seen any of them past the third. I don't, think, I don't think there's a point. But hey, teach their own. If you can get that money, get that money. All right. In no particular order here, I want to go through my five favorite ones. And I go back to earlier last month when Fernando Tatis was up to bat for the Padres. They were against the Houston Astros two runners on. They're down six to three, and Tatis hits a moonshot. And a 1-1 to Fernando. Fernando
0: hits one of the air down the left field line. It is headed towards the pole. It is headed onto the tracks. It's a three-run home run. History in Houston for Fernando Tatis Jr. with two outs in the ninth. The Padres have tied it up six to six.
1: Unbelievable! Credit Fox Sports San Diego for that audio. But Fernando Tatis, the way he hit the home run beyond the bleachers, into the train tracks, and he just stared at it. And I think we're forgetting, with all these home runs, you know, with the rise of Otani, we're forgetting that Fernando Tatis is still pretty damn cool. And I hope that the second half of the season... He remains healthy, and I do think the NOS is going to get very competitive. All right. And, yeah, thank you, 707. I did forget that. Don't forget Godfather 2, unless someone else mentioned it. Godfather 2, one of the great sequels of all time. But, hey, Rush Hour 2, my opinion, greatest movie sequel ever. All right. Number five was Fernando Tatis. Number four here on my list of my favorite home runs for the first half of the season. Oh, he loaded
0: up. Mercedes tattoos it to center. It is
1: gone. There you go. A 3 0 swing. 3 yeah. 0. <laughs> he's batting against the position player, William Estudio, for the Minnesota Twins. They were getting blown out. Estudio is normally a catcher or a designated hitter, depending on the matchup. But he's a big dude. He's out there pitching on the mound, throwing seeds. Then he gets to a 3-0 count against Mercedes, and Mercedes cracks it to center field, and it's gone. Then it created a whole rift between uh, the White Sox, Tony La Russa, and their players. And, you know, we've we've cooled off on that whole, you know, Tony La Russa isn't the right guy to manage this White Sox team uh, because they've been playing well. But that home run... From the first half to me, that was an iconic one that we can look back at and just laugh for a second. Your meme Mercedes was a lot of fun to watch within the first half. All right, number three, I had an affinity toward this dude with the A's at the time when he was with the when he was actually on the team. But this dude, Robbie Grossman. He had like a 440 OBP. He's getting on base damn near half the time, and no one was giving him the credit. All the credit goes to, you know, went to Simeon, Chapman, Olsen, whoever. But then Grossman went to the Tigers, and the Tigers, they're they're not a good team, let's be honest. They're really not. But when they were going up against the New York Yankees, and he had a chance to hit a walk-off, Robbie Grossman did just that. Here's the payoff. Fly ball left field. Frazier going back, measuring it. That ball
0: is gone! We're going home on a two run game winner! So we talked about Grossman, the, the, the guy at the right time. Take a look here at this fastball, guys. Right over the middle, head down. And Grossman knew right away when he makes contact, that ball's gone.
1: I thought that was just a really cool moment. Shout out to Bally Sports Detroit for that audio. But Grossman hitting a walk-off against the New York Yankees and doing it with a three-run homer, no less. Yeah. I'm a, I was all in on that. Big fan of Robbie Grossman. Thought he was really uh, underrated when he was over here with the A's. All right. So we've gone through my first three. Number five was Fernando Tatis. Number four was Yermeen Mercedes hitting the home run off of a position player, creating a whip within the White Sox clubhouse. Robbie Grossman hitting that walk off against the Yankees. But number two, and I played this as my long call of the week, but Shohei Otani taking the league lead in home runs. The next 2-2 two, two home.
2: Oh!
0: There really is no one like him. You foul it off your front foot. You foul it off your back knee. And what do you do? You say, you I have to take that little casual jog. And he rockets out without.
1: Shohei Otani getting that home run and that fast with the, Ha-ha! I can't even do it. I can't even do it because I've just been talking straight for an hour. My voice can't take it. But Shohei Otani, he's been unbelievable. He was the talk of All-Star break. And I healed that he keeps it going into the second half of the season. Now, I could have gone with one of the two here, two grand slams that were hit by the Giants this season in the first half. I could have gone with Mike Talkman's. Mike Talkman coming back, he absolutely needed this grand slam, but to me, when this happened on June 16th, and this isn't even a walk-off, but when Mike Yastrzemski, hit this one against the Arizona Diamondbacks as they came back from what was it a 7-0 deficit Mike Yastrzemski hitting it into the water Uh, the strut the follow through everything that made it my favorite home run for the first half of the season is a high drive to right is it fair down the line
0: it is a grand slam into the water can you believe And they all score, including the man who hit the ball. Incredibly, the Giants have come from seven to nothing behind,
1: and Yastrzemski has put them ahead credit NBC Sports Bay Area for that audio. Those were my five favorite home runs of the first half of the season. Gonna keep Lankford's long balls going to the second half and an honorable mention goes to Seth Brown. Seth Brown from the Yays hitting that walk-off earlier on in the year. I think Seth Brown getting that first home run. I I believe that was his first career home run if I'm not mistaken, but getting it as a walk-off, that was a great moment earlier on in the first half but those were my five favorite ones. From the 415, Avatar 2 was trash. Have they come out with an Avatar 2? Have they? No, it's coming out in 2022. What are you talking about? The first one I liked. I was good with the first one, but I I, I don't know if I'm going to be excited for the second one. <laughs> and then for the 415, and Godfather 2 followed it up with Godfather 3. Yeah, I, I think we can all agree uh, that was a mistake. Shout out to the director's daughter. All right. Benji Molyneux.